It's another positional ranking, in this case, the top center field prospects in minor league baseball. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And I want this to be your show. If you have show ideas, questions for our Monday mailbag, segment ideas, anything like that, tons of ways to get them to us. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Shows on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can leave a comment on YouTube while you're there. Like the show, subscribe. You can go to your favorite podcast app. You can see in the show notes all the ways to get a hold of us. So looking at the top center field prospects in baseball, the first question you get to, I've got it over here on the rundown for those of you on YouTube, is Jackson Churio versus Dylan Cruz. And for a lot of people, they're probably thinking this isn't much of an argument, but if I'm making a top five for prospects, Jackson Holiday, Jackson Churio are one and two. Dylan Cruz is probably in that top five right now. And so this is a top five matchup between Jackson Churio and Dylan Cruz. And each of these guys have different things that they do well. And each of these guys have different things, you know, different the different weaknesses and struggles to their game. So Jackson Churio first, because one, he's been a major leaguer for longer, but what he's done in the minor leagues, I think there's a lot of the context that we sometimes forget when we look at a lot of Jackson Churio's statistics and his production is we forget his age. He's not, he's 19 years old. He won't be 20 until next March. So as a teenager, he spent almost the entire year in double A Biloxi and then made it for a week, literally a week, to triple A Nashville at the end of the year at age 19. It's a little bit absurd. To recap here, 128 games between double A AA and triple A, and again, almost entirely in double A. 283, 338, 467. 22 home runs. 51 extra base hits for Jackson Churio, 43 walks to 104 strikeouts, and 44 of 53 on stolen bases. Now, there's a couple things, context, that you need for Jackson Churio's slash line and production this season. The first one, we've given that, 19 years old. He did all of this at age 19. It is I'm not going to say unprecedented. We've seen players this young make it to the majors. Andrew Jones debuted at age 19 for Atlanta in the World Series, too. But uh, what he did is even more impressive in the context of he is 19 years old and he's doing all of this in full season baseball. Now, the more context that you need for Jackson Churio is talking about the offensive environment he played in. And typically, this is a park factors conversation, right? This is talking about, okay, so Biloxi's park is a little bit below neutral, slanted towards pitchers a bit when it comes to runs, scoring runs. But for hitters, 
It's a little like it's a little bit slanted towards home runs, and the Southern League as a whole has some pretty extreme parks. Double A Mississippi for the Braves is incredibly unfriendly to hitters. It's one of the worst parks to hit for power in all of minor league baseball. But the Double A Southern League, as we've talked about a ton on this show, also had the tacky baseball. Right, so. Jackson Churio's season can be divided into two separate halves. And you look at that first half of the season, it's like a 19.6% strikeout rate. From that point in July where you swapped over the baseballs until the end of the year. And I just, when I was doing this, I just included that six games in AAA because that was easier. Jackson Churio's line improved in every single aspect. Okay. So again, Full season number was 283, 338, 467. From the ball changeover on through the end of the year, when he was using the major league ball for the rest of the time, because Double A Southern League had that and Triple A has the major league ball. Jackson Churio goes 324, 379, 538. 11 home runs. So half of his home runs come in those 57 games. 26 extra base hits. 21 walks to only 35 strikeouts and 21 to 27 on stolen bases. His strikeout rate drops to about 13% in change. And in I think in their write-up, Baseball America had that higher, had that like 14%. Our math's a little bit different. Again, that may have been because I grouped in those six games in AAA. I don't know. But the point is, significantly better offensively from the midpoint of the summer on through the end of the year. And obviously, he's 19 years old. There's a lot of different things that this could be. The ball's probably part of that. Some of that is him adjusting to a full year in baseball and making the types of adjustments that you make midseason. Some of that could be he's a 19-year-old. I mean, there's a lot of different things that can explain that. But the point is, Jackson Churio had an amazing second half of the year. And when you look at what he does, Speed is easily 70 grade. Defense is plus in center field. He's going to stick in center field for a while. He probably will eventually kick out to a corner, but it's going to take a lot longer than than, than it feels like a lot of players because he doesn't have that incredibly large muscular frame that's going to deteriorate rapidly. Uh, When he does kick out to a corner, it is going to be left field because if there is a weakness on Jackson Jorio's game that you want to critique... It's that his arm is not very good as far as strength. He had, a, as an amateur, he had an elbow issue when he first got into full season ball. They were protecting it. They wouldn't let him throw home. They made him kick the cutoff guy even when he didn't need to, etc. Wouldn't really let him unleash it. And he still kind of hasn't gotten back all of that arm strength. And the arm is probably fringy to average. But everything else, great. Probably a 60 grade hitter. The power potential, I mean, you saw he hit 22 homers as a 19-year-old with half the season in a pitcher-advantageous league, ballpark, and ball. Probably 70-grade power potential. It's absurd. Again, if you're going to critique anything, it's going to be the arm. Now, Dylan Cruz, we have a much smaller professional sample size, but we do have high-level performance samples from watching him in the SEC. Was drafted, obviously, number two overall by Washington. Got 35 games in, making it all the way to double-A Harrisburg. So he got like one game in rookie ball, 14 games in single-A, and then 20 games in double-A Harrisburg. In that sample, in those 35 games, 
292, 377, 467. Five home runs, 14 extra base hits for Dylan Cruz. 14 walks to 38 strikeouts, again in 35 games. And four of 10 on stolen bases. I do think the stolen base issue, I do think that is a, he's a plus runner. I think some of that is just him understanding the timing and the moves and everything in professional baseball. The clock is different in the minors than it was in college. Learning to read the pitchers and probably better pickoff moves. And he's used to seeing things like that. I think that's more of it, more so than he's not a good runner. Because he proved to be fine at that in college. He wasn't exceptional. He never broke uh, 10 steals in a season outside of his freshman year. But it's something where... I don't expect him to be that unsuccessful going forward. Again, 4 of 10. I just don't necessarily think it's a huge part of his game, despite having the speed and everything. He's just never really focused on that. Uh, offensively, I think the reason you've got Cruz behind Churio comes back to he's probably a little bit of a lower power ceiling as of now over Jackson Churio. I think his hit tool is probably going to be better. It feels like he's very much a a, a higher on base, uh, you know, driving the ball into the gap for plenty of doubles, taking extra bases, hitting plenty of home runs, but not necessarily like the potential of what a Jackson Churio could be. And if I'm having to place them, I'm putting Cruz behind Churio. And one is the power ceiling I don't think is as high. And then two, you're also looking at you haven't necessarily seen him do it in the minors like you've seen Churio do it. It's hard to put Cruz ahead of Churio when Churio's done it and Cruz has not. There was questions about how much swing and miss he was going to have. I watched a series against Auburn where Dylan Cruz got on in all three games. I think he only had one hit though, maybe two hits because he had swing and miss. He'd get punched out with different stuff. And so one of his worst series of the season Obviously, I've, I saw the worst sample, but I've seen some of those swing and miss concerns. You saw it a little bit in the zone in his debut in the minors, and I think some of that too is adjusting to professional baseball and the different quality of the pitchers. In just a minute, two young guys who both got samples in the majors this year and their seasons ended dramatically different. Let's talk about Evan Carter and Pete Crow Armstrong. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. You can score early and often this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. You've got Thanksgiving coming up this week. We are going to have a show. Stay tuned for that. But if you want additional reasons to have football on and be and have a rooting interest during your holidays, check out FanDuel. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150. If your team wins, there are three games on Thursday. It would be fun to sit down with the family before the game start. Try to talk about who you think's going to win. Play some things and give your family something to cheer on during the evening. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, no better time to get in on the action. You can check out all kinds of different uh, betting options from a super easy to use app. They've got spreads. They've got player props. They've got over-unders. All kind of stuff like that. So, Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. 
Welcome back to Locked on MLB Prospects, segment two of our of our top center field prospects in baseball ranking here. Do want to give you guys a quick heads up. This show and a bunch of other national shows are on uh, Locked on Sports today. We've launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. So Locked on Sports today, it's here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows like this one covering every single league. So go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Okay, so going through the rankings, the next group of guys you see, Evan Carter of the Texas Rangers versus Pete Crow Armstrong of the Chicago Cubs. And uh, depending on how much postseason baseball you watched, you probably have... Uh, different ideas. They both got called up into the year and the end of their seasons went completely different. Their major league debuts went completely different. Uh, Evan Carter obviously goes all the way to the World Series where he plays a part in just about every single round as the Texas Rangers go on to win the World Series. What a debut at age 20 for Evan Carter. So a reminder here, had some injury issues and so only got 97 games in double-A Frisco and eight games in triple-A Round Rock this year. But in those 108 minor league games for Evan Carter, 288, 413, 450, hit 13 home runs, had 36 extra base hits, 81 walks. They call him full count Carter for a reason, but 111 strikeouts. And went 26 of 37 on stolen bases, which is actually funny because he went 26 of 38 in 2022 in high A a Hickory. Just think it's funny how that went alike in similar years. Gets to the majors, 23 games in the regular season. Goes 19 for 62, hits five home runs, has 10 extra base hits. This is all in 23 games. 12 walks to 24 strikeouts, 3 for 3 on stolen bases. It's a slash line of 307, 413, 645. A little bit absurd, playing mostly left field. They had Leody Tavares in center. They had Adolis Garcia in right. We had a show a couple weeks ago talking about steamer projections and where these guys were going to play, and we talked about Langford and Carter and all of that. But just found it really interesting to figure out what was going to happen In the postseason for Evan Carter, he goes 18 of 60 with a home run and 10 extra base hits, 10 walks to 19 strikeouts, 3 for 3 on stolen bases. So slash line of 300, 417, 500 in the postseason. And didn't play a ton, it feels like, but was absolutely impactful when he did get into the games. And I think the issue with... Evan Carter versus Pete Crow Armstrong is so many people are colored by what Pete Crow Armstrong did or or more specifically didn't do in the regular season. So PCA struggles when he comes up. Now, the time in the minors was good, similar to Carter, uh, mostly in AA. He had a longer AAA stint. It was 73 games in AA Tennessee for PCA and 34 games in AAA Iowa. So 107 total in the minors. Slash line there. 283, 365, 511. Good batting average, not as good of an on-base. Slugging was over 500, which was, I think, a little bit of a surprise for a lot of us. His previous full season high was something like a, uh, what was it? It was a 498 
in 63 games in South Bend, which is high A, uh, although that's not a great power ballpark. Both Myrtle Beach and South Bend aren't great power ballparks, but still. So 20 home runs, 53 extra base hits for Pete Crow Armstrong between double A and triple A. 46 walks, not as many as Carter, to 129 strikeouts, again in 107 games. Now, he does spend quite a bit of time with the tacky baseballs in AA in Tennessee, 82 strikeouts in 73 games. Most of those games, 80% of those games, off the top of my head, were with the tacky baseballs. 34 games in Iowa, 47 strikeouts. So still more than one every other game, even when he gets away from the tacky baseballs and goes to AAA. But the major league sample for PCA, he got 19 total plate appearances, 14 at-bats, no hits. He scores three runs, he walks three times, strikes out seven times, gets an RBI, two for four on stolen bases. He just, he doesn't get a lot of actual playtime and at-bats. He plays in 13 games, but he only starts three. He's a defensive replacement or a sub in the other 10 games. And so he only gets 52 innings. And a lot of MLB veterans will talk about how hard it is to sit on the bench and then to come in and produce at the plate. And so I think the conversation behind Evan Carter versus Pete Crow Armstrong for a lot of people ends up getting colored by the relative lack of success that PCA had at the major league level as compared to Evan Carter because of that incredibly small sample size and the bad position that PCA was put in from an offensive perspective. When you compare these two guys, I don't think either one of them really has great power, right? I mean, Carter is, Carter's probably better as far as a power ceiling, and I still don't think it's going to be more than average. I mean, you're looking at a guy, Carter's ability really is, He's going to be a good defender. I'd probably put him somewhere between above average and plus with an average arm and plus speed in center field. And then he's more hit over power and obviously the on-base ability because he full count Carter. He's so good at pitch recognition and knowing a ball from a strike and the good swing decisions that come along with that. Pete Crow Armstrong, by change, uh, what his strength is... Not as relevant if you're a fantasy person. If you watch a show for fantasy baseball, PCA is not nearly as attractive a prospect in fantasy baseball because his best asset by far is his defense. Pete Crow Armstrong legitimately is the best defensive center fielder in the minor leagues. And the day he becomes a starter at the major league level, he's going to be a top five, top six defensive center fielder in all of baseball on day one. I mean, Obviously, there's an adjustment period, but from a sheer talent perspective and what he's capable of, P. Crow Armstrong is going to be in that conversation with the rest of your top defensive center fielders. You know, whether it's a Kevin Kiermeyer, whether it's a Michael Harris, he's Britton Doyle, he's going to be in the conversation for best defensive players in all of baseball. The arm's above average, the speed is plus. And so because of this, PCA is going to have a chance to stick at the major league level even if offensively it doesn't quite work out. I do think he's going to have some strikeout issues at the major league level. Uh, and honestly, if Cody Bellinger wasn't a free agent, I could see a scenario where Chicago kept Pete Crow Armstrong in the minors for a little bit longer in AAA 
to give him a better chance offensively to be ready before they call him up and have him start every day. But with Cody Bellinger, a free agent, and probably leaving Chicago, they're going to have to call PCA up, and he's probably going to start the year as the starting center fielder. Now, if I'm putting Evan Carter above PCA, which right now I am, despite them being very close, they're still both top 15 prospects. It's not like it's not like one's 100 and one of them's top 20. They're both top 15 prospects. It's tiny fractions of a percent better than the other. But if I had to pick, it's something where Evan Carter, definitely more valuable in fantasy, but I think that his power ceiling's a little bit better and he's obviously better adjusted to the major leagues because he had an opportunity to adjust, whereas Pete Crow Armstrong did not. In a year, this could look completely different, right? This could be this could be something where PCA's up, he's raking, he's hitting perfectly fine. We'll have to reevaluate this in a year or so. In just a minute, I want to talk about one of the breakout prospects across all of the minor leagues in 2023, Roman Anthony of the Boston Red Sox. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back to Locked on MLB Prospects, final segment of our uh, center field ranking show. And let's talk Roman Anthony. Something where if you're looking at slash lines, especially during the middle of the year, there's probably some questions as to why Roman Anthony got promoted from single A Salem to high A Greenville when he did. So, 2022 second rounder out of high school, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School down in Florida, and full season this year starts off in single A Salem, 42 games, 228, 376, 317, one home run. 11 extra base hits in 42 games. Not great. 38 walks to 38 strikeouts. Okay, much better. 11 to 17 on stolen bases. Uh, Red Sox officials saw past a lot of these issues and promoted him anyway. And the reason for that, and the reason you can't necessarily always just scout the stat line, I guess, is... When you look at his actual game and what he was doing, combined again with the offensive environment he was in, you really see some commonalities. So, some of, and some of it was his issue, mind you. He was hitting the ball into the ground way too much, right? Just an absolute way, way too many ground balls. But the underlying exit velocities were good. Uh, The swing decisions were good. His left-handed swing, it was already a good swing when he got drafted. Boston made it even better. It is an absolutely beautiful lefty swing. It is probably one of the stereotypes of what you want a swing to be. He's got free and loose hands. His arm is slightly bent. You don't have an arm bar, but... He gets, he has quality contact, keeps the bat speed, follow through. It's a gorgeous swing. And when you see that, you see the plate discipline that he has. You see the excellent plate coverage and the pitch recognition. It made sense to go ahead and promote him despite the numbers not being great. Now, when he gets to high A Greenville, 54 games, uh, very end of the year, he moves up to, to AA Portland, which age 19, 
is wild. The last player for the Red Sox, I think, that made double A as a teenager was Xander Bogarts. 54 games in high A Greenville for Roman Anthony. 294, 412, 569. Friends, that's very close to a 345 slash line. 12 home runs, 29 extra base hits, if my math is right. 40 walks to 75 strikeouts, 2 or 3 on stolen bases. Obviously, different level of competition, but holds his own, does really well despite the strikeouts, 75 strikeouts in 54 games, still a little bit of concern there, still a little bit of worry, and uh, I mean, that that that's one of those things, it's a lot of it's on breaking balls, right? Uh, also seem to struggle with lefties, obviously if it's a lefty with really good breaking balls, he's doubly screwed, but plenty of time to fix this, right? He's 19 years old. I believe he turns, he doesn't turn 20 until like next May and plenty of time to fix this, but just a phenomenal breakout finally goes up to Portland. It's not very long again, 10 games, right? So very small sample, but five extra base hits while he's there. Three for three on stolen bases, more walks than strikeouts. That's over a thousand. What you get from Roman Anthony, the package you have here from Roman Anthony is, at the very least, it feels like an above average to plus regular. Now, the question's going to be, as he continues to mature, and not so much physically, he's already good size, you know, 6'2", two, 2 and change, but as his hitting approach evolves, does how much better does he get against spin? And how much better does he get against lefties? You still have work to do. You're not a finished product. Anywhere close to a finished product. And then as he does physically develop, assuming he adds, you know, probably 10, 15 pounds, where does it go? And what does that do to him? He's already, I already don't think he's super fast. The arm is good enough where he could move to right field instead of left if he needed to. And I think the power is going to be good enough to play in a corner. The question is, what is the ceiling on the hit tool? And what does his speed do? Because obviously, inherently more valuable in center field than he is uh, in right or in left. But either way, big fan of Roman Anthony. Thought he did great stuff. Something that we touched on briefly in that corner outfielder show, we said we weren't talking about Max Clark and Walker Jenkins because we didn't know if they were going to be corner outfielders or center fielders. I think if you have a, it, it feels like Max Clark is a much better bet to stick in center field than Walker Jenkins is. Part of that is Clark is just incredibly fast. I want to say a lot of what I've seen is in red is 70 grade plus defender in center field and then a big arm as well. He's gotten up to mid 90s as a pitcher in high school. And so, the arm is fantastic. I think he's probably more likely to stick in center field. Walker Jenkins is the one of the two that if somebody has to move to a corner, it's going to be him. He has a plus arm as well. Not as good uh, as Clark's. Not many guys do, but has a plus arm. Something where it feels like his speed, which I would call somewhere between above average and plus, is more from he has long strides than just sheer burst and athleticism. And so whenever that happens, you always wonder about, okay, he's got plus run times now. He's a plus runner now. As he gets a little bit older, obviously with it being more long strides, you can maintain that. 
but at what point are you no longer able to maintain that? And or do you have a better defender to play center field and you bump him out to a corner? Again, you could bump him to right field because the arm is good. I do think power-wise, Walker Jenkins is going to have more power than Max Clark, or at least the scouting reports from draft time and from their little bit of gameplay after the draft says that Walker Jenkins is probably better power than Max Clark. Walker Jenkins feels like if everything clicks right, he could be a 30, 35 home run guy. Whereas Clark feels like the contact is the bigger part of his game, contact and speed versus just the sheer power. Clark in center, Jenkins in a corner. I'd probably, if I was having to give you a ranking right now of them as center fielders, I'd have Clark behind Anthony, Jenkins behind Clark, and then Jason Dominguez probably behind both of them simply because of the uncertainty behind what does his arm strength do when he gets back from the elbow injury some point in time next year. Fantastic week this week. Couple more shows coming up, including we are doing shows on both Thursday of Thanksgiving and on Friday and on Black Friday. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, if you've got questions for us, show ideas, segment ideas, anything like that, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. And in the show notes in the episode description, it's got all the other ways to reach us in our link tree, whether it's Discord, subtext, all of that stuff. Until next time, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer. 